This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AMVACAST, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AMVACAST. This week, we're going to talk to a couple of members from one of our current working groups to get an update on what they're working on, how their conversations are going, and what you might expect sometime soon. And more specifically, I'm talking about our Emergency Response and Resiliency Working Group. And to chat with me this week, I am pleased to welcome Amy Williams from the Illinois Secretary of State's office and Vanessa Bernard from the Washington, D.C. Department of Motor Vehicles. Amy, Vanessa, welcome to both of your first appearances on the AMBICAS. Thank you. This is exciting. Yes, it is. Very exciting. Thank you. So let's start with a, a little bit of the history of, of the working group. Um, I know, of course, the working group was stood up and then, you know, you both uh, joined, joined the working group as members. But as you kind of went into it in the early days, what was the context as to why now? I mean, on the surface of it, obviously, uh, this got stood up almost right at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, everybody was in emergency response mode, but I think the idea of preparing for emergencies and reacting to emergencies certainly predated the the pandemic. So give me a sense, um, Amy, I know you serve as chair of the working group, so why don't we start with you? Give me a sense in those early conversations, what was the context of why this group and why now? I think early on, and it has stayed that way, is we looked at, and this is an opportunity to look in the rearview mirror and try to do better the next time. Now, I know that um, I don't think Illinois is alone and that it came as a pretty big shock when we started to figure out that we needed to shut down operations to keep our staff uh, and the customers uh, healthy. So I think this was a good opportunity to look at what we might have done better had we had some experience in this before. And then as the working group started to come together with people from so many different jurisdictions, we started to realize that we could make this applicable to all kinds of disasters. We all have very different needs where it might be a a tornado in Illinois, it's a hurricane in Texas, but Mm. there are going to be other emergencies. And if we have a continuing operations plan and the framework to take care of ourselves and our business and get back up and running as quickly as possible, we think we can all do better the next time. I don't think we're going to ever live in a world without some type of emergency, even if hopefully we don't see another pandemic. Right. Now, and so give, give me a sense, Vanessa, maybe you could take take this one. The idea of the pandemic, there was the initial emergency response, but I think it's fair to say not, we've not reset to gone back to before. There's always going to be pre-COVID and post-COVID, which admittedly we're still figuring out. But to me, that's different than, say, Amy's example of a tornado or a hurricane, where it's an incident, you respond to it, it ends, and then you kind of reset to pre-disaster. So in terms of planning for those, is, is there a difference in the framework, in the mindset to how you approach those emergencies? I think one of the things that we all came to realize is that in the beginning of COVID, we all thought, oh, it's just going to be for a short period of time. 
And then as it became obvious that it was just going to be extended, I think what we realized is that we were not prepared for an extended emergency, not in the way that we wanted to be. And so one of the things that the working group was looking at is how are we going to be prepared in totality to be able to continue operations for an extended period of time. So some of our early discussions, the things that we talked about was making sure that staff was prepared. So for example, I'll use just DC as an example. We have staff who are approved to work remotely, but because they were not planning on being home for as long as they were, we did not have the um, number of computers that we needed. We didn't have the number mm. of access so that people could get on the secure network. And so it was things that we started to look at in totality of how do we prepare for an emergency that might last longer than what we expected, but we are still able to provide services to our customers. And, and it seems to me in that service piece, there's two elements in emergency planning. There is preparing how to continue your operations, all those internal considerations, equipment, access, where are yeah. employees, what do they need? And then there's also how do you plan to deploy the services? You know, we've heard over the years, Amy started with the examples of tornadoes and hurricanes. When there's a tornado coming or, or a tornado has hit, how do you uh, deploy services to people that need uh, replacement documents um, and don't have access to the documents that maybe they had before the tornado hit to to vet their identity. So, so Amy, how did the working group decide how to manage that focus between tools that will help our members prepare for their continuing operations versus best practices around what to deliver to customers who are recovering from emergencies? That's a good question. And I think one thing that we learned during the initial shutdown was how different each of our jurisdictions are. While we all may have the same basic needs, Illinois shut down completely for uh, almost two and a half months. And I know that there are states that didn't shut down at all. So in trying to um, make this working group helpful to every jurisdiction, we started with our, our group and just sort of listed out general topics like communicating a strategy, IT and IT deliverables, and um, your priorities of what you can provide to your constituents. And then we put out an AMBA survey early on and asked all AMBA members and jurisdictions to rank those in their experience, what they um, thought was first, second, and third. And mm -hmm. I hope Vanessa agrees with me. I don't wanna speak for the, the whole working group, but I think one of the things that we've learned is how it's almost impossible to decide what comes first. Mm. Is it communicating your strategy to your employees or should you be on the phone with IT? And there's just so many critical pieces that I think to me, that seems like it's been the hardest part for us is deciding what comes first when everything becomes an emergency. And so in that same vein, our working group is, is hopeful that we can give jurisdictions the tools to make those decisions that best fit that jurisdiction. So a priority might be very, very different from coast to coast or in the Midwest or to our neighbors in Canada but we're hopeful that we can lay out the structure that they need to sit down, go through some tabletop exercises together and have the nuts and bolts of what they need to modify to get their highest priorities up and running as quickly as possible for as long as possible. Hmm. It's funny you mentioned those tabletop exercises. I think some of us um, almost were in shock in the sense that for years we've done 
tabletop exercises. We've had continued, uh, you know, coup plans, continued operations plans for emergencies. We've done the tabletop exercises. We've, we've, we've gone through that discipline. And yet when COVID hit, to Vanessa's point, you know, no one was really prepared for that extended, uh, that extended emergency, despite what we thought at the time was good preparation. So Vanessa, expand a little bit for me on Amy's um, comments there about the tools that you're hoping to make available to members, even if it's not defining what to do first, second, or third. It sounds like more like a menu of options that you're trying to create for members to choose from. Yes, I agree with Amy and that that has been the biggest challenge for us is determining what should we do first? What are the steps? So I think that in our best practices document that we're creating is basically um, touching on all the points. So Mm -hmm. what do you need to do in terms of internal communications and external communications? Here are some best practices for IT. Here are some best practices if you need to shelter in place, if you have PPE, when you return to the office, the chain of command. So we're hitting all of the major points that would be included in a coop. They're the major points that you would address in a tabletop exercise. We're just putting in a format that puts it into small bites, makes it easier to digest. And that way give jurisdictions the ability to decide for themselves what works best for their agency while still being able to um, address all of these main points. And so I wanted to add that in doing so, um, we think that it will enable the different jurisdictions to think about emergencies and how they respond differently than what they did before, and to also consider what is an emergency. Because as Amy said earlier, we often think of emergencies as weather events. Here in DC, it's a little different because it's not just the weather events, it's also the protests. We've had situations where um, we've had to move employees to a different location because there was protests where they were and it wasn't safe for them to go to work. So we had to figure out a way of how do we get them at a different location? Um, How do we notify the public that that particular service center is closed and how do we deploy our staff and our customers, especially once you've had appointments, um, to a different location? So now we're looking at emergencies in totality. It could be weather events. It could be a political event. It could be a protest. It could be um, a, a, a medical pandemic like what we're experiencing now. It could be anything, you know, in some jurisdictions not necessarily with DMVs, but there has been situations where there have been jurisdictions in the country who've had um, computer issues where their computer systems have been hacked to a certain extent. That is an emergency. And so that's one of the things that we want the jurisdictions to think about. What is an emergency? And depending on that type of emergency, how do you then move forward? So do your documents outline all those examples? I mean, does it does the document go into that depth to help educate or maybe open some of our eyes to what might be considered an emergency? We do. That is something that we're working on. And we do have in there, for example, if it's a chemical emergency hmm. um, and what type of chemical emergency and then how are things remediated. So if it's a chemical emergency and you have staff who, you might have some staff who are in an office location, some staff who are working at home. And then in, in, in addition to thinking about 
the the staff and the customers, you also have to think about the physical building. Is that affected by it? You have to think about your equipment. Are your computers affected? Are your cell phones affected? And if they are, what is the process to decontaminate? Those are not things that we usually think about in the DMV arena. Mm -hmm. That's something that people think about in other arenas. But now, because of the things that we are faced and how the world is changing, that is something that we want jurisdictions to consider. So Mm -hmm. yes, we are addressing them in different ways. And in in the conversations you've had with, with the working group, um, take me back. We, we started talking about my, my other question about the difference between preparing internal operations versus delivering services to folks that were hit by emergencies. Did you hear a lot of differences in terms of uh, any approaches or philosophies in terms of the role for the DMV to support customers, citizens, residents uh, when they're recovering from an emergency. So maybe not one that affects your operations, right? The the tornado or the protest didn't necessarily affect physical facilities of the DMV, but you know, it's an area and now you have to respond and help those individuals. Um, was there a lot of diversity in terms of how agencies prepare and react to supporting people recovering from emergencies? Sure. Um... Yes, I think we, you know, we've seen a lot of jurisdictions move more services online, which will um, be a protection, I think, for for future events that, like Vanessa said, take longer than initially expected. Now, of course, there are still some absolutely essential services that we cannot provide that way. You can't get your driver's license for the first time that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Illinois has experimented with extending the expiration date of licenses because even though we think of the shutdown as being something in the past, we still have situations where facilities have too many employees out with COVID. We've got an outbreak in this facility, so this area of the state isn't being served. So I think that we've seen a lot of interesting things come up through the jurisdictions, and and we've had a lot of AMPA meetings about it since then at the conferences. The different way that, that states are managing their workflow differently now, the different services that they're providing online, and and trying to stay up on the technology and the trends of our customers. And I think everybody's seeing a good response from allowing more to be done from home. Yes, I agree. And I'd also like to add that one of the things that we also talked about was working with other government agencies, partnering with other agencies to ensure that we can get customers what they need. So for example, Hmm. there was a time in DC where we had an apartment building that burned down. So a lot of the residents did not have their driver's license or their identification card because they lost it in the fire. So what we did is we worked collaboratively with the um, apartment building as well as other district government agencies to get documents so that we would be able to reissue or renew their driver license or identification card, depending upon what stage they were at. So for example, if it was someone who was elderly, maybe they received services through the Department of Health or the Department of Social Services, then we could work together to get the documents that we needed so that we could move forward with getting the customer what they needed so that they could go on and rebuild the aspects of their life that they needed to, like having access to their bank account or being able to get some type of services that they needed. So we did talk um, in our group about just working collaboratively with other agencies to help customers get what they need. 
Yeah, that cross-agency collaboration one is is an interesting one, especially in an emergency environment, right? When you're when you are planning ahead, you're being proactive, and things are calm. It's very easy to talk about getting everybody around the table together and have that back and forth. But when everybody is in reaction mode, to take the time to connect with um, not only cross collaboration uh, within say a jurisdiction agency, but you know, you mentioned something like someone who gets um, medical benefits, you're talking about collaborating from, uh, in the US case, state to federal, right? If someone needs you know, Medicare or Medicaid benefits and they lost all their documents, you're talking about a collaboration between different levels of government. Um, do you think the working group will have some best practices or recommendations operationally of how an agency might be better positioned to have that collaboration? I think so. I think that that is something that we stress in the working group is that the continuing operations can't wait until there's an emergency. And the purpose of this working group, I think more than anything, is to push jurisdictions to sit down and talk about their coops now. Mm. Do it now. Try to make it as versatile and flexible as you can so that it addresses a range of disasters, pandemics, shutdowns for any reason. But I, I I agree. We can't wait until there's an emergency. That's how everybody found themselves surprised yeah. this time. Mm-hmm. And and we don't know that we can anticipate the next disaster any better than we anticipated COVID. But at least having a framework in place while everything is status quo should save everybody time and resources the next time this happens. I think that anticipation piece is an interesting one, Amy, because I think that's part of with, with the COVID response, um, in many ways, it was unimaginable, right? Even when it started, it was, everybody go home for two weeks. And then two yeah. weeks went by. We're going to go, we're going to stay for another two weeks, right? And here we are two and a half years later and, you know, things are not like they were before, you know, and, um, I think, how do you, how do you prepare for something that is really almost impossible to envision? I feel like in this decade, we have to prepare for the most outrageous extreme example. <laughs> it, it's just, it's something different, history setting precedents every day in this decade. So I feel like yeah. there's there's no option to out there right now to prepare for. I think that just by living through this experience and all the things that we have learned, because that is one thing that we all have agreed upon, that we have learned a tremendous amount of information, best practices, just how we manage through the process, how we deal with this process, how we just live and have Mm -hmm. a a balance of a work-life balance in a situation where you don't have separation from work and home anymore, where it's all, where it's all together. And just from having this experience, I think that that in and of itself makes us more prepared for whatever is next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't want, of course, we don't want there to be something disastrous, but I agree with Amy. We've got to, we have to prepare for what we can, what, what is the wildest thing we can imagine now and be prepared for that as as best as we can. And I think we have the skills because of the experience that we've all been living through, as you said, for the past two years. Mm-hmm. What we can imagine might happen next might be the the next podcast that I have to do. <laughs> Sit around and talk about that disaster scenario. That would um, be great. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, 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 leave everybody smiling. Yes. Um, 
you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, and we talked a lot about the best practice, but in addition to this best practice that the working group is creating, um, you're working on a toolkit of some other items that might help members out as they prepare. So can you kind of start to illustrate for me what, what we mean when we say the working group is putting together a toolkit and what members might be able to expect in the next months or a year ahead in terms of the actual resources that they'll be able to to get from this working group to help them have a better coop or better preparation sure we are stealing heavily from other jurisdictions <laughs> to throw it all into the same place so that it's a one-stop shop that you can come in and get the form that you might use to issue a driver's license or an id card under the sort of scenario that vanessa was talking about um, we'll have the framework for a coop that will need to be fleshed out by individual jurisdictions, but they'll know what needs to go in there. And so it will almost be like a, like a template that they can almost fill out or a, a sample document for them to follow. Yes. And, and this is a pretty, um, we have a lot of diverse jurisdictions here in this working group. So everybody has a form that they fill out um, for hurricanes that can be modified for something that we could use in the Midwest. And, and we're just taking those, making them as generic template as possible, but still to get the job done so that when there is an emergency, you don't have to Google this. You know where to go. You know where it's available. And you can get ahead of the game by downloading these and taking advantage of it, doing the tabletop exercises when it's a calm day and you're not under unimaginable stress. You know, for I, I want to um, talk about Susie Geyer for a second. She, in Indiana, they had something that was just phenomenal to me because in Illinois, one of the things that we struggled with was communicating to our own employees. Not all of our employees have email addresses. For example, facilities don't. So just getting in touch with them about the changing dates for the return to work and what to expect when they return. And uh, at, in Indiana, Susie and her team developed a really cool online option. I think they call it the break room, maybe that's accessible externally by employees so they could come and catch up and see the news of the day and any new information that they needed to get to those employees. So the employees knew what was happening without just having to watch the news or read the newspaper or wait for a press release. So we're a lot of good ideas from a lot of different jurisdictions and we're trying really hard to put them all in one place. So that'll all be samples in this document that says, hey, if you're trying to figure out how to keep employees informed that maybe aren't on your regular email list, here's an example of something one jurisdiction did that you can copy, steal, and borrow and create on your own. Definitely. So talk to me about timeline. I know the working group's, um, you know, been active now for almost a couple of years, right? And uh, uh, when can we expect to see some of these materials start to be ready to be available to our members? I think if we answer that question, Kristen will kill us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would hope soon. I would hope um, maybe by the end of the year. You know, it is, I think, a bigger undertaking than we all thought when we first started mm. getting together to have the mm. conversations. Oh, that's interesting. And, and working on our individual sections of the toolbox now is, is kind of where we're at. I think everybody's taking a little bit of time to really research their areas. We divided things up pretty equally, but... I think trying to keep up with our already busy full-time jobs, summer schedules, and and get this yeah. important work done has been a little bit more than we anticipated, and we want to do it right the first time. Yes. Yeah, that is the challenge with, and that's true for any of these ample working groups where we we ask so much of our members to give above and beyond, like you say, Amy, your 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 day job, 
Um, and yet that is the only way to really harness all the great work that's being done in the diversity of the jurisdictions. And so managing, being able to get that information from all your great collective knowledge, but also knowing, you know, you have a day job. <laughs> it's going to be worth the wait. That uh, <laughs> can say it'll be worth the wait and the effort. Great. Yes. So how, is there anything else about the working group, about the discussions you've had, the topics you've learned, the surprises along the way we, we haven't touched on that you think members, you know, might be uh, interested to know about or you really want to get out there to the, the Amva world? I think the most interesting thing to me is that it, this working group really does seem like a microcosm of Amva itself. Mm. We all bring um, such different needs to the table. We have different responses. I think all of the jurisdictions had great ideas in a couple of areas and where there's where there's some overlap, we can build upon that. Where there's a deficit for another jurisdiction, we can fill in the gaps. So I think it really speaks to the diverse nature of AMVA itself, the different needs that we all face with the same common goal of doing the same job the right way. And so I, I think that that will be a benefit to the AMVA community when we're done is that uh, AMVA picked such different jurisdictions with such different needs, and mm. we're seeing that it's all the same common goals, maybe a different route to get there. Vanessa, anything else come to your mind? I agree with um, Amy, and one of the things for me personally that I'm really enjoying is the diversity of the group, because it's allowing us to see the commonalities as well as the differences, and I think the differences is what helps spark ideas and say, okay, wait, this might happen in my area, or we should be prepared for this, or this isn't something I think to, thought of, or this is something that perhaps we should implement. And I think that Amy's example of Susie Geyer and her team and what mm -hmm. they did to um, engage their staff was very important. And that conversation in part um, spurned more conversation about the importance of mental health, of making sure that we take care of ourselves mm -hmm. and our employees. Because I think that Prior to that, we just did not think of it in the same way, as I had mentioned before, because work was one place and home was someplace else. And when you no longer had that separation and you were limited into where you could go, how you could get away, you could take a walk outside and get some fresh air. But if you were someone who was used to going to the gym, you couldn't go to the gym anymore. Yeah. You were someone who was used to going to movies on the weekend. You couldn't, now you had to watch movies at home. And so... That for me, and I think for a lot of people in the group made us realize that, okay, we have to look at how we take care of our employees, how we take care of ourselves so that we can continue to be our best and to offer our best for our jurisdictions and for our customers. And that was important to me. That's something that stood out for me. Well, I really appreciate you guys spending time with me today and bringing our members up to speed on the great work this working group is doing. Um, thank you to the two of you and everybody on the working group who is clearly putting a lot of uh, effort, thought uh, into this process um, to really create something that's going to be valuable um, and sounds like very usable. You know, we AMVA produces a tremendous amount of materials, um, all of great value. Um, it's really great to hear that you have an approach to this one that you're really trying to focus on tools that they can pull out and, and use in addition to educating and informing. So thank you for that approach. I think members will be really excited. Um, Amy, whether it's in a few months or more, <laughs> whenever it's out, we will, we will 
it will be worth the wait, as you said. Well, thank you, Ian. This was fun. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Thank you all for listening. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.